Jason Glick. This is Comic Picks by the Glick. Hey, I'm your host, Jason Glick. Hey, Jason Glick, what's going on? Hey, Josh, going, going pretty well. We are uh, recording to you now from, like, another convention. Yeah, can't get enough of these shitty conventions. I mean, um, these, they're cool. They're cool. I love conventions. Really your word's not mine. I mean, it was your idea that we go go to AM2 in the first place. Yeah, it's just a place for me to or hang out. Uh, you know, summer convention season, there's always something going on. It's kind of semi-free, so... Yeah, and like as as you're well aware, it's like um, forces were conspiring against us um, for recording earlier this week. Like John's internet went out, then like social commitments prevented us from doing it sooner. So here we are now. It's like and as promised, like we're talking about, about the, um, DC's new new fifty two. New fifty two. Yes. Yes. Basically, it's like as I'm pretty sure like, everyone who's, who's listened to this um, probably knows that this is they, DC rebooted their entire line last year. It's our new fifty-two all-new number number ones, and uh, only now we're getting the uh, first set of trade paperbacks from all the uh, from all the series involved. Um, some of them have been, have been quite good. Other ones have um, died an early an early death for whatever for whatever reason. And um, it's like I've I've been picking picking up several of them. But first, we're going to start with what um, a lot of people consider to be the cornerstone of the new fifty-two. That would be um, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee's Justice League. Yep. All of you at home, you might be wondering, like, well, Jason, uh, you've never really been like an art type guy or like a big fan of Jim Lee. It's like, why the hell are you? How the hell did you pick this up? And this is where I tell you, like, no, I didn't pick this up. I borrowed this from a buddy of mine who did. So, and but you know, as due to its importance as like cornerstone of the uh, New Fifty Two, um, like on lineup, I asked him, you know, can I borrow it? He said, sure. So here, I, here I am, here I'm talking about it, and it's, you know, it's. Not bad, but as I told as I told my buddy John, that it is uh, it's like I'm glad I borrowed it from him as opposed to buying it myself. Because yes, um, Jim Lee's art is it's like it is fantastic, truly it's like truly engaging and like um, you know, some of the best. He's truly one of the best um, artists when it comes to superhero action. But um, but the story itself, in it's just one gi- gigantic fight scene. It starts off with um, Batman and Green Lantern meeting up in Gotham as Batman's chasing down this weird alien alien creature who um, explodes before saying, For Darkseid! And um, then it continues on for each issue, like, you know, introducing Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and eventually just, like, like continuing the fighting, but e- giving each character, like, you know, one big, um, you know, introductory, introductory scene to let them know that, hey, you know, like, it's not entirely about the fighting. We've also got some character in here as well. I mean, it, but um, but but overall, it's like I mean, it's like there's not really a whole lot of depth to it. I mean, like basically, it, all it is is just build up to the big fight scene when Darkseid shows up. Apparently, he's looking for his daughter, who is apparently one of the key figures in the uh, in the um, in the new Fifty Two reboot. She's apparently um, Pandora, who we first saw at in in Flashpoint. And uh, but um, like I said, it's. It's just like a big fight scene, like um, like Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, it's like Cyborg. That one of them, they all pile on Darkseid at the end, and yeah, we get some badass badass moments. Like Wonder Woman stabs Darkseid in the eye, Aquaman pop, um jams his pitchfork into his face, <laughs> and I think, and it's like you know, it's it's not bad. I mean, it's it's good for a big big old fight scene, but you know, it's like I guess I'm glad I, I'm glad I borrowed it. I mean, it's like it has. I guess that's a little more substitute than your average Michael Bay movie, but that's that's still kind of the, the whole style of the substance we're, we're going over here. Not bad, but 
don't know, so if you're gonna buy it, I'd, I recommend waiting until it comes out in paperback. Okay. But, you know, it's like, as far as something that did come out in paperback, one of the first titles I picked up was um, Animal Man by Jeff, Jeff Lemire and, and Trouble Foreman. Now, yeah, and um, now, I've talked about Animal Man before in the, in the realm of um, in my Metafiction podcast, and because I basically Grant Morrison was the definitive run on this character, where he um, had where he introduced Buddy Baker as a uh, as a family man superhero, like one of the rare superheroes who actually has an active family life. He's married. He has he has a son and a daughter, and you no, know, he's just you know just like he, but he's also a superhero, and it's, it's like in his spare time, and and he and he, his life revolves around that. So it's so that was unique. But Morrison also like eventually went went and made his character. Um, had this character um, take on like a journey where he eventually um, met his maker Morrison, like after a series of traumatic events in his in real life. Now, the thing I'm bringing this up again because um, the thing about Morrison's take on this on this character is that more than anything, it gave Animal Man the license to be weird. I mean, just strange, strange and unmoored from the like, normal conventions of, super, of of superhero fiction. And um, Lemire um, like really um, takes that to the next level right here because he. Yes, we get um, Buddy Baker. He's introduced as kind of like a, uh, you know, sort of like the same family man type superhero. But he's also just, you know, also um, like, but he's like definitely he's um, thoroughly B-list. I mean, he's uh, he's even um, taken on a uh, like a film role as um, like as a kid in a um, in an independent movie where he basically uh, plays a plays a superhero like a, like a washed up superhero who's trying to like make make ends meet. And this is this is his life. He's like um, aspiring, like someone aspiring actor, like sometimes superhero, and then um, he finds out that his his daughter is getting um, powers of her own, basically the powers to reanimate what it looks appears to be dead matter, and apparently she's telling him that no, we daddy, like we need to go um, go into the red. This is where all life is, and this is it's being threatened now. So so buddy like listens to her and he finds out that turn that he is basically um like that his purpose not isn't like you know just to be a superhero. He was granted these um, powers, like as Animal Man, to basically um, safeguard the protection, the uh, the uh, the avatar of the new, the next uh, of the, the animal world of the Red, and um, that that is his daughter Maxine, and so she is, so she's basically the like like the main catalyst for this story, and um, but the thing is, because the main main threat here comes from the from the entities known as the Rock. Like the rock is, a, is the enemy of the red, and they are out to like, corrupt all animal life on the, it's like, it's like in the world. And um, but the, but the thing is, like the way it plays out is much more like a Vertigo title uh, in terms of in terms of maturity and actual horror because the art from Trouble Foreman is really fucking creepy. I mean, it's like he like like Foreman like he his art is kind of like uh, it's like it's it's kind of like it's sometimes it's sketchy not. Not really well, not really well detailed. But then when he um, when he really puts his mind to it, he turns out some really like twisted stuff in terms of, um, it's like in terms of like a, um, like creature designs and um, so I see what you're doing right there. What? No, no. Let's 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 go into this. Like you're you're <laughs> talking like I like so you can't just do this stuff like in front of me and like I expect you not to notice. No, no, I'm, I'm showing them the pigs. I'm like, dang. Yeah. Them. Okay. Like, We're gonna break up for a second because, like, you're you're flashing out, flashing out Catwoman. Yeah, it's freaking look awesome. I love the artwork for that. Yeah, 
That's why I was pointing at this guy, like, dude, this looks badass. Yeah, yeah. The art's from a guy named Guillaume March, and um, he's he's done a lot of stuff for DC, DC before, and um, Catwoman does have a, certainly a lot of cheesecake in it, and like, I don't think you've gotten to its signature scene because this is what got it into a lot of a uh, lot of trouble in the fir- first episode when this first issue came out. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. Cat, that's Catwoman fucking Batman right there. That that is Catwoman fucking Batman right there. Yeah. Because, you know, see, the thing with Catwoman is, like, I, I bought this because I wanted something for this podcast that basically that I want I would normally go, like, no, I'm not going to buy this. When I hear, like, you know, this, like, the big talking point for Catwoman number one is, you know, Catwoman fucking Batman, um, I'm going to pass on that. Because, you know, I can I prefer to just cut out the middleman and buy actual porn instead. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but you know, with Catwoman, it's like, it's... Um, it's it's by by it's written by Judd Winnick and he, he does ha- he does have a lot of fun with you know Catwoman, you know being her like the normal like um like thievery self and she's going around um like see like like stealing stuff um stealing from the Ru- stealing from the Russian mob and um like I'm making making trouble for every, everyone in Gotham, but but the problem but the real problem with with Winnick's run is that he with his with his issues right here he. He basically escalates attention to where there's nowhere else, nowhere else to go. I mean, it could have been like a nice, like you know, like um, like like um, like a thief, like thief story, kind of like they say Ocean's Eleven. But instead, um, like he basically has um, Catwoman's fence killed in the third third issue, showing you're like, oh, your your actions they have real consequences, and like you're like and you're and you're fucking around as a thief in Gotham is like is like basically like, um, dragging everyone down. And this continues to go on for like the rest of the rest of the issue as she as she uh, basically steals some drug money from from Gotham from Gotham PD, winds up tangling with one of their super superhero enforcers. It's like and winds up ripping off her ear off in the process. I mean, it's like when it does have a like I like his take on Catwoman as someone who is just like you know having too much fun with her with this stuff in order to uh, it's like in order to appreciate the consequences. But um, unfortunately, like like. Like his his take his take on this just you know, showing like oh yeah your actions have consequences I mean like it's like where do you go from here I mean like, yes you show like the Catwoman like she, her actions get get her friends people she cares about killed and she keeps doing it so it's really it's kind of hard to sympathize her at the at the end of the volume when, when she hooks up with another um, friend of hers who is also a fence and you're thinking like well what what do you do now I mean like yes you're probably gonna get her killed too unless you're just Setting up a new, set up a new status quo here. So, so it doesn't really give. Does it? Does this series give like reasons why Selena Kyle is addicted to the way, the way she is to the thrill of thievery? Or it doesn't so much give us as exact reasons as shows you like this is how she is. Right. It's like she, like she is someone who is always you know, like, like who, who thrives on be, being being in over her head. Right. But the problem is like with um with. I mean, like, and yeah, it's like he—that's that's a fine setup as it is. But the thing is, like, when you when you're showing, when you're showing the consequences of her actions, showing that oh yes, yes, you you tend to get people ki- your actions uh, get people killed. Mm-hmm. It's it does make things kind of hard to sympathize with her. Right. Yeah. And then there's a the whole you know Batman, uh, her fucking Batman as well. So right. So Batman just kind of like it's like you know even Batman like you know Batman can like win any fight. He still has weakness for the pussy as well. Of course, he's pun intended. He's human. 
Yeah, backing up, but backing up for a bit um, with with regards to Animal Man, it does it really does feel like a uh, a Vertigo book, like set in the DC universe, and it is creepy and weirded out to the point where that that does make it worth worthy of of that thing, and it shows you it definitely shows you like Morrison's influence like on on the characters as well. Because if he hadn't done done his whole like Buddy Baker meets Grant Morrison story, this wouldn't be possible like in the first place. But still, it's like it's but but it's also worth and like, I'm certainly looking forward to reading more of it, especially once um, Scott Snyder's um, Swamp Thing comes out, because it's, because um, like, Swamp Thing gets name-checked a lot in this volume, and I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing, like, how, how all this ties in, because I, I have, what I, the, the word mouth is, like, Animal Man and Swamp Thing, they're telling the same story from just two different sides of the fence. Right. Yeah, so it's good stuff right there. Yeah. And, um, also, so next up is, um, Stormwatch. Now, long time, now, if you People with long memories will remember that Stormwatch was um, a series that um, Warren, El- Warren Ellis served out with in, like in, in the wild, in, with Wildstorm, Jim Lee's imprint with DC. And this is essentially that the series that made his name with them and led to uh, his led to the Authority, like his like his um, genre breaking um, take take on what superheroes superheroes can do in the late, like in the early aughts. Hmm. Oh yeah, now. Now the authority um, eventually, it's like um, after being um, handed over to, to authors, and just couldn't quite um, measure up to to Ellis's level. Eventually, like eventually became became an also ran. But DC realized that there's still a lot of name value in you know revisiting this these, these concepts. So they're giving us a new Stormwatch with Jack Hawk, Jack Hawksmore, um, like and and you speak of the engineer. Like Gen- Jenny Quantum, Martian Manhunter. It's like, um, let's see, one, it's one guy, Harry, the uh, the Eminence of Blades. Harry Tanner, the Eminence of Blades. It's like, as the um, as Stormwatch and Stormwatch in this incarnation is basically like the uh, secret society of superheroes who are just basically protecting the world from, you know, like people who are not, like just protecting the, like the world from people who are like from the, all the threats they don't know about. It's like this volume. Like the moon starts attacking the earth, so like it's their job is to, it's like you know, come up with a cover story to like stop this. But at the same time, they're also trying to figure out, um, trying to recruit um, uh, Apollo, the uh, like super, su- like a superhero analog, Superman analog from from Warren Ellis's run as the uh, as a new member. Basically, as their heavy hitter. This is interrupted when the Midnighter, um, Ellis's Batman analog. Um, like also shows up and wants to recruit Apollo, just you know, basically killing all the bad guys on Earth. Now, the reason I picked this series up is because it was written by um, Paul Cornell, who's done some great work in the past with um, Captain Britain and MI, it's like, and um, MI, MI thirteen, and um, um, Super, and um, Superman: The Black Ring, this story of Lex Luthor, um, trying like on his quest for absolute power. One of the best things I read last year. Now. Anyone expecting Ellis, um, Ellis's stuff on Stormwatch, you're not going to get this here. And I that so anyone expecting that, it's you're like just get that out of your head right now. Um, Stormwatch is pure Cornell. It's very, very, very English in the sense that you know like there's like people that there are people who face like a crazy thing of like being faced down by like the um, giant eye in the moon, or it's like um, rock monsters on the surface. And they're saying, no, okay, no, 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 we can talk about this. It's like, just have a cup of tea and all. 
So it's this this very British um, sense of like uh, of calmness in the face of um, of absolute um, like life 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 threatening danger. And 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 um, even though it doesn't quite work at first, like it doesn't. Um, eventually, as it goes on, like Cornell's style um, more fully asserts itself in like in the material, and it get, and, it gets, and it get, becomes more fun than the result. He does set up an interesting um, status quo at the end when. Um, with uh, Harry Tanner's actions and the uh, like, and his, um, his when he um, kidnaps the projectionist, but um, the problem is that you know it's even though like I really I started to get into the story at the end, um, Cornell is no longer writing this series as of issue six. So like this this first volume that's all he did. So I'm wondering like do I want to uh, um, continue picking up the series now that um, Cornell is no longer it and that. Um, like Paul Jenkins did the fill-in issue afterwards, and Peter Milligan has taken over afterwards. Sure, yeah, we've got stories of the of the, uh, of the Midnighter hitting pussy in issue ten. Uh, that's you know, he's, he's punching a cat, not you know. <laughs> so, so like, so like, it's like, do I do I want do I want to pick this up? That's that's the whole question. I mean, this first volume, if you like Cornell's style in his other works, and this is certainly worth worth reading. Like otherwise, if if you're not a big fan of his, I mean. If you're if you're going in expecting an Ellis style superhero X, you're gonna be disappointed. But you know this is for, basically more for Cornell fans than anything else. Oh, and for those of you um, wondering about you know how he handles um, Apollo and the Midnighters um, relationship, well, he uh, as I said before, it's like he's like last when I, when I had a panel with, with him talking about it, it at <coughs> the at Comic Con, he basically said he wanted to, like to have the Midnighter and Apollo. It's basically like two, two guys. Finding one another and starting a relationship, and he actually pulls that off pretty well here. In the sense that you know, like for those of you like looking for like, sense, okay, what are they? What are they? What are they going to start like admitting they, that they love each other? It's like, but no, he actually pulls up. He actually does a more subtle take on it, which is like far, like far more, um, far more palatable, and, and it's like and actually acceptable in the sense that you're, he's not banging you. He's not. He's not wham, um, banging you over their head with their gayness. So, so overall, it's like it's kind of a kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, I, I'm so glad I bought it. Hmm. Speaking of, all right, moving on to like stuff I actually shell up for the hardcovers for. Okay, we've got um, Wonder Woman by Brian Azzarello, Cliff Chang, and Tony Akins. Now, I was, uh, now Azzarello is certainly a talented writer because um, after his work on Wonder Bullets, I'll buy almost anything that he will he will put out, but he's also um, like a, like a, an artist, a writer who will certainly try to um, like you know do something different for the sake of doing something different. In the sense that you know it's like his like his takes on um, his take on Superman, which was like kind of like kind of weak, kind of weird, not entirely satisfying. His his Doctor Thirteen story, which is the, the very definition of too clever for its own good, and um. And his um, and also his work on um, and that's because like because of that his work on before Watchmen, with um, uh, the comedian and Rorschach, I'm thinking like you know he's the kind of guy who says like yo I'm giving you the Rorschach you've always wanted and loved and I'm thinking, yeah sure you are. <laughs> it's like Azarel's the kind of guy who will take the long the long way around to um, basically I'm um, deliver, delivering on the pay on, on the payoff here, but with his. But he's actually um, stumbled upon a, a, a very novel interpretation of, of Wonder Woman right here. It's like I've I don't have any 
Wonder Woman comics in my, my, uh, my library, period. Because you know, her character, I mean, she's, there's never really been like a lot of like, you know, like great Wonder Woman stories that I need to own. I mean, it's like she's, she was a character who was created in the Golden Age by the, by the guy who created the lie detector. And wanted to, and figured like you know guys would be mm-hmm. you know entranced by her dominance of them, so yeah he was a psychiatrist actually yes, by Wil- trade yes William Walter Marston mm-hmm. and it's like and he it's like but the thing is like like all this like her origin is like basically like a uh, like a, as an Amazon created by her mo- her mother Hippolyta um, out of clay like nope like she's perfect she's the perfect Amazon because like nope. No man took part in her. Like, nope, like, nope, there's no sperm involved here, uh, everyone. So, <laughs> so, like, I mean, so you got, you got that. And she was sent out over to, she's a warrior who was sent into the man's world to um, learn, learn his ways and try to achieve some sort of peace between them. So and even though, it's a complete reboot of Wonder Woman? In the or? sense that, you know, it's like a lot of this stuff is meant to be a, like, a, like a reboot. Like, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm treating a lot, well, DC has said, like, a lot of stuff is meant to be, like, you know, Ground Zero reboot from the beginning. Right. I'm t- I'm personally not treating this as kind of like, you know, like, okay, yeah, it's a new number one. Shit happened, and um, then we're then we're here. Uh-huh. So unless like, I mean, if there's stuff that like, I can't reconcile with other stories, then I'm gonna, then like, I'll deal with that in my way, because you know, like, there's always a way to reconcile like any story. I mean, like, that's why uh, Marvel in- invented the No Prize. But hey, you know, we're talking talking about Marvel here. We're talking about DC. <laughs> so. But um, what Azarella has done, which is a very novel idea, someone I, uh, he has basically um, taken Wonder Woman and, and thrust her full on into the world of Greek mythology, because uh-huh. it's the story basically has her um, protecting, um, protecting this one this trailer trash this, this girl who's basically been a trailer trash from like um, um, from from the United States. It's like and she because basically she is the, the latest person who's been um, who's been um, knocked up by Zeus. And, um, and anyone who's familiar with like um, Greek mythology knows that hey, if you're knocked up by Zeus, Hera, his wife, is gonna be really fucking pissed off by this. Mm-hmm. So, so Wonder Woman realizes that you know it's like hey, it's like this woman doesn't deserve what's happened, like her fate. So I'm gonna like take it upon myself to protect her. So she's got so she's watching her back. Um, Hermes, the goddess speed, is also watching her back as well. And she's but um, this also leads her to um some to un, un, some unpleasant uh, revelations from. Of her mother, who basically tells her that, oh no, you weren't actually made out of clay. I was knocked up by Zeus as well. So, so you weren't actually um, not made by, not made by, but no man. Your daddy is Zeus as well, and I just wow. lied about it in order to keep keep um, Hera from finding out. So it's like you've got so yes, it's full on soap opera drama here, but it's like soap opera drama in the best tradition of Greek mythology, and I love it. And you've also got, but you've also got also driving the plot is that um, Zeus is somehow out of the picture here. He's gone. It's like he may be reborn through this piece of trailer trash he knocked up, but in the meantime, his son Apollo is also like on board trying to um, like secure things for his own for his own best interest as well. You've also got like him working working this whole situation from a from a, from a, from a lateral angle. But overall, it's like I re- it's like um, Azrael is kind of. It's kind of just like ha- probably having a good laugh at all the um, superhero fans here because, you know, this isn't a superhero story. It's basically a bit of Greek mythology that involves like one woman who is also who also happens to be a superhero in her day job. And 
and and, like, I, and I really like I really like his take on take on this here. It's like it's it's like like the motiva- motivations are clear. It's like the um, like every like it's it's easy to identify. It's like well, why everyone has a stake in this. It's like I'm, so it's really entertaining from that point. I'm looking forward to reading more. The art from Cliff Chang is also really really clear and cartoonish in the best best expressive way possible. And the fill-ins from Tony Akins are also um, really really good as well. It's like one so so Wonder Woman like def- definitely definitely a pleasant surprise. Certainly not your average superheroes superhero material, but still a lot of fun nonetheless. Okay, now we're coming to um, two of the series that um, that kind of explicitly didn't um, take the uh, take the reboot um, directed seriously because we've got um, the latest volume of Green Lantern from Jeff Johns and Doug Bonkey. Now, well, um, it's like, well, all that stuff is meant to, like, start everyone with a fresh slate. Um, everyone, everyone who's been listening to me talk about Green Lantern before, you know, that's not the case here. Um, John's in the middle of this big-ass Green Lantern epic, and now he's, it's like, this is, and um, this latest volume, Sinestro, is the, um, is the latest, is the latest installment. Because as we left it off with um, the War of the Green Lanterns, um, Sinestro had, um, Basically, um, rejoined the Green Lanterns, and um, Hal Jordan, um, no, Guardians kicked him out. He's no longer Green Lantern. He's just some guy on Earth with um, bills, bills to pay and a regular life, life to live. So it's like how as Hal Jordan's trying to figure out now how do I survive without you know like the rush of being the Green Lantern. Sinestro is also trying to figure out how do I contend with these Guardians who I who I used to work with and basically like said like no you don't know how to run the fucking universe. And I went and started my own my own group, Sinestro Corp, based on based on fear. Well, Sinestro has since found out that his that his corpse has basically um, said fuck you to his original directive, and is now um, uh, terrorizing his own homeworld. Wow. So, what does Sinestro figure he can do? Well, even though he doesn't like Hal Jordan, he knows that he can trust him. So what he does is he can manufacture his own Green Lantern ring and give it to Jordan. So now. Jordan is Green Lantern again, wow. but he's at Sinestro's beck and call. Mm-hmm. So, so they go off to, they they go off to Korrigar, um, free from the from the Sinestro corpse, and all sorts of fun happens there. Uh, John's um, take on Sinestro is is certainly interesting. Is this guy? Is he's the guy who believes that you know everything he's done, he's not a bad. He, Sinestro doesn't see himself as a bad guy. He basically sees that everything I have done has been for this sake of bettering the universe. You know, showing like the Green Lantern the Green Lantern Corps fear, getting them to re- rewrite the rules, allowing them to kill um, at will. It's like, you know, this is this is all part of my this is all part of my plan. And now it's like like though and, and picking out the Sinestro Corps, the people that I created, well they've kind of strayed from my rules. So like, hey, that's part of the plan too. So so his so like I so I really like his his take on there. It's like and and he also like and his and his um, set up with Hal Jordan is also fun as well, showing him that, you know, yeah, it's like, um, it's like, yeah, it's like, I, I, I mean, I'm the best there is being a Green Lantern, but I can't be that anymore. And now, and even though when I can, I'm still having the answer to the one guy who um, I used to trust, but st- really, really can't. So, like, this first volume, still a great, great advancement in terms of Jeff Johns' overall story. And Johns also understands the fact that, you know, getting people in involved like in the long term thing because because the because the he basically um shows you the guardians the leaders of the green tour are not to be fucking trusted because <laughs> they went and mind wiped they go and like mind wiped the uh, dance the one member of the guardians who was 
who basically thought that they were up to no fucking good, and now they're just saying, okay, yeah, we created the Manhunters, the original Protectors of the Galaxy. They were flawed. They could when you wipe out an entire fucking sector. We only created the Green Lantern Corps, but now, oh, okay, they got flaws as well because they're they're all like the alien races from the uh, from another place, from the, all over the universe. But they've got their own like um, alien flaws as well. Now we need to create another army that is going to go in, like you know, have no flaws and just bring perfect order to the galaxy. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a recipe for fucking destruction right there. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so like, sorry, this whole thing about the third army, I want to know about this. I'm looking forward to this. I'm going to keep buying off Green Lantern in hardcover because you know I, I want to, I want to see where this, where this is going. Like John said, like as I said before, John's uh, has a has a, um, has a um, thorough vision for what he wants to do with with Green Lantern. It's like, and that's that's why I love seeing. Speaking of characters, um, authors who um have a uh, thorough thorough um, vision for for their character we go to the final thing of our podcast and that's Scott Snyder's um, um, Bat- Batman now this will probably surprise no one that I brought this in hardcover because I loved um, Snyder's take take on the Dick Grayson Batman in um, Black Mirror and so did DC because they gave him you know Bruce Wayne proper to take to, take, to, um, to write in the reboot and it, and they didn't just give him Bruce Wayne proper to write they also gave him a great artist in Greg Capullo yeah yeah Cause you know, I know him. You you love him, Myron. Yeah, he's one of my favorite artists. And yeah. So I mean, like, tell us about his past. What you know, what he's done, what he's done before. I grew up. I grew up with uh, Greg Capullo with Spawn. Like back in the day, I used to be a big. Uh, I'm still I'm a big Todd McFarlane fan. I always loved Spawn. But then Greg Capullo, when he took over the artwork, that's when I started getting more into the detail he puts into his characters and like the whole angles of his camera shots. And when I uh, saw that he was doing Batman for the new 52. I mean, I love Batman as a character, but just because he did the artwork, I immediately picked up the first two issues, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm loving what he's doing with the series. Yeah, because here's here's <coughs> a little bit of trivia that I heard. Because originally, um, because after he he was um he left um Han, mm-hmm. the series he was doing with Robert Kirkman over at Image, both DC and Marvel wanted him for their for like to work for them. Right. Marvel was given wanted him. Oh, he wants you to do. Alien, um, X, um, X Men versus Avengers. Right. Yeah. Th- then DC said, "Okay, we want you to do something. We can't tell you about it." But so basically, he had to sign the non disclosure agreement, and then they found out, "Okay, we want you to relaunch Batman." Yeah. And so as soon as he heard about that, he thought, yeah. okay, "Okay, yeah, I gotta do that." And well, I've said before that you know I'm not much of an art guy. I'm not the kind of guy who will buy, who will not normally buy a series based on the art. I have to say that Capullo's work here is truly fantastic. Yes. Yeah, he like he's got uh, he just nails like the like the detail of the detail of Gotham, like it's like it's it's decrep- decrepitness, the craziness of its of its criminals. It's like it's like a Bat- Batman's hero- Batman's heroic nature. It's like it's it's great stuff. And like you know, like he's he's great with the detail. He's also good. there's also a nice element of caricature in his in his depiction of the characters. It gives them like a nice nice expression of so, so show, have them show that the emotion, like the, the emotion inherent, like inherent in their actions. Yeah, because he's always been he's always been the type of artist that can capture like the mood, the setting of a storyline, and incorporate it to image. Like Spawn was a dark and gritty series. Haunt was you know dark and gritty as well, and mm-hmm. he could reflect that very well. And Batman is a dark and gritty character and nature of the storyline that yeah. he was a perfect fit for the franchise. 
And, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm loving what he's doing. Yes. Yeah, he's an absolute perfect fit for, for the material. And Snyder really, um, like, like also, like, tri- tests with, like, um, ha- like, pushes them to the limit as well. In the sense that he, there, are, there are moments in, there are p- panels in the, there are sequences in the, the later issues where, um, where the page layouts start twisting. Like, you don't start reading them normally, like, you know, just like left to right. You start having to twist the book, like, um, first, first, like, upside down, then right, then right side up. It's like, it's, it's like, it's crazy stuff as Batman starts losing his thing, losing his shit. Because, um, th- with this story, it's like, um, Snyder and Snyder and Capullo pull off the really difficult task of them having Bat, um, presenting Batman with a, uh, you know, showing Batman at the top of his game, and then introducing a new foe who is, like, supposedly better than he is in the, in the, um, in the form of the Court of the Owls, basically a secret society in Gotham, who's basically um, remained quiet all this time until they realize that, you know, now, I realize that Batman's going to become too much of a threat, and now we're going, out, going to try and take you down. So it's, so it's, it's, it's really like, it, one of it is like an extremely familiar bat tale, but it's, ex, it's executed to the, um, like extre- it's ex- executed very well by, not by Senator Capullo. Because, you know, even though it's like, you know, the, the whole, like, um, you know, standard for the story is like, you know, Batman um, has, you know, ba- Batman can win anything. I mean, we yeah. know that, you know, he's, that eventually he's not going to lose to the Court of the Owls. He's going to, like, you know, sh- take them down and show them show them what for. But in this first volume, he, even, even in his escape, he shows that he, he, he basically does this by the skin of his teeth. You know, that the traditional Batman, oh, you know, I've, like, I've, like I've got you. Like I've I've really been in control of this situation, is is um is undermined by the fact that you know that Bruce Wayne is like at his at the end of his rope right here. That he his escape right here is is by the skin of his teeth. So you know even though it's like I have I am in full confidence that he's he's gonna um like show these he's gonna like hand the quarter quarter of owls its ass by the time this. This crossover is over because that's what this leads into. This first volume doesn't end, have any re- end with any resolution. You're going to pick up the next volume, a Court of Owl. Who are some of the villains featured in like this? Well, these are all new villains because like in, this volume starts off with Batman putting down a riot in Arkham, right? Um, with the help of the Joker, believe it or not. Of course. Yeah. And um, essentially, but um, Court of the Owls is basically someone who, you know, it. They're, they're basically the Court of the Owls before Batman looked into them was ba- well, well before this one was basically a nursery rhyme in Gotham, uh-huh. basically just one of those like you know like one of those like little creepy Blood, urban legends like Bloody Mary and yeah exactly things like that. But um with yeah but but with this I mean like I mean they are, they're also but I mean, like we find out that Bruce young Bruce Wayne basically thought as a kid that hey you know these guys had to be the people who killed my parents right so he basically um. I investigated them from the beginning as he was a kid, and basically he kind of like, like, almost wanted want, want to be killed as a result. Wow. So, yeah. So like, to have them come back now, it's like it's like it's shock, shock to the system, and they're set up as a um, as an impressive set of uh, a credible set of villains. This one basically strong enough to base it base, to base a uh, a crossover at. So overall, it's like you know, I mean it's like. Even though it's like I, I got a buddy of mine, John, who loaned me the uh, Justice League hardcover. Um, like he's basically very discriminating about his Batman stories, and even though this is one still like a familiar Batman formula, 
it still doesn't entirely adhere to it in the sense that by the end of it, we're produced with a um, weakened Bruce Wayne, someone who was at mm. his wit's end, and now the Court of Owls is bringing the full court press to him. So overall, fantastic stuff, and I'm still annoyed that, you know, yeah, it's only three months into the uh, Night of the Owls crossover, and I still want to, like, you know, snap up that, that, that next volume to see what, what happened next. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic stuff from Snyder, and um. I don't, know, it's like I don't want to pat myself on the back for picking up this stuff, but you know, so far it's like, you know, like, I, I only buy the stuff that I'm gonna buy, think is gonna be like, you know, interesting, mm-hmm. but but at least I can I can take credit and like take comfort in like the stuff that's coming out from the new two. Like there's still like like it's it's not just like a sense of stuff. There is still good work being put in from from all sides. I'm still looking forward to more stuff. Because it's Grant Morrison's take on Superman and action comics. Mm-hmm. Snyder's, Scott Snyder's um, Swamp Thing. Now riddle me this, Jason. Yes. Knowing that I'm a... That <laughs> I'm, knowing, knowing that I'm a Marvel whore. Yeah. And I'm a diehard Marvel fan. Besides besides Batman out of the DC Universe, I love Batman. Mm-hmm. Nobody else I've never really cared for growing up in comic books, you know. But why... Why does New 52 really matter? Like, what would you say to a Marvel whore like me to get into it? <sighs> that's a, that's I'd say get off your knees on Marvel. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, need a couple of the DCs, because the DCs were always the dark, more of a dark person. DC, DC, DC has always shown more of a willingness to experiment. Right, I always thought DC was more dark, more sort of mature. Well, yeah, person, but, when I was a kid, I always thought like, oh, this Virgo, is the type of books my Virgo dad liked. Side. Compared to, you know, I'm reading Wolverine, and he's reading the higher Watchmen and all that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, yeah, you look at Spider-Man, and it's like some little nerdy kid with powers, and you just think, wow. Yeah, DC, DC has shown like willingness really to, to experiment. Don't, don't talk bad about Spider-Man. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, well, it's like, it's like, why should you read this over, like over Marvel? I mean, well, I mean, DC's always shown a willingness to experiment. Um, with, with like her, her stuff like over, over the years. I'm <laughs> <laughs> saying it's not reading anything over something. It's saying expand your mind. Yeah. Read another book. Doesn't <laughs> just have to be Marvel. Well, well but why? Uh, that, just have to go into it. Why? Why? Why do you not like DC? Is, is there something about DC now that you wouldn't like? Well, no. I mean, just growing up, like I, I've never, like especially during my middle school and high school years. I, I just always felt that Marvel characters had more of a dynamic uh, uh, feel to them as far as background and s- style. Like mm. for me, like Superman, there came a point where Superman was boring to me just because uh, there was really nobody in the universe that could fuck with him. Yeah, yeah. His main villain was a bald man who could easily take him down with a red rock from his home planet. So I mean, uh, But you know you can't hang you can't hang a whole entire label on one character. No, but <laughs> you know no, I mean no, as, as much but, as I don't but, like. But no, that's just number one. Green Lantern, being okay. allergic to yellow. You know. Yes, but uh, it's sort of like Aquaman it's sort of like. Sucks. Uh, well, okay, <laughs> but 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 that's not any more ridiculous than oh hey a radioactive spider bit me and all of a sudden I'm a radioactive spider. No, that shit could happen. That 
that shit's awesome. See, see, see it's, 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 the same, it's the same level of sure. imagination yeah. that makes that. It's like, oh, I got exposed to gamma radiation. All of a sudden, now, you know, I'm uncontrollably the Hulk. That's but that's, right. but, but modern science has progressed since these characters have been created. Right. This, the, you know, like, you know, it's like, it would be like going back and, you know, and selling the Prometheus movie based on, you know, on old concepts. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, um, you know, well, this is now a hybrid because so-and-so and this, this alien and this human had sex together and all of a sudden, you know. Well, you can't explain. You can't yeah, explain. Now you got you evil, evil alien space vagina yeah, going now, out. Yeah, and now like, you, I'm you, making you can't. Aliens. You know, th there's only so much a generation is willing to buy in terms of their own uh, view of the world around them. You know, you you know. So that's why Superman's concept of of kryptonite, you know, uh, hitting him is you know, or or you know, hurting him or harming him. It, it's a really old concept. Yeah, right. but, but it's. Here, but, but actually, I want to specifically address like the bit about. Right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not discounting it. I'm just saying, like, for its time when it was created, That's yes, right. that was. It's just in the 30s. 30, 30, in the 30s. 30, 30, Same thing with Batman. You know, the original Batman was a very dark character, but he was Batman no more, used guns. He was. He was a detective. That's what. That was his original appeal. He's yeah. a detective. You know, but they don't sell him as the detective because if they did that then then it'd be like oh detective and then, and then you, you mean to... you mean like magnum pi yeah. batman's like magnum pi they they don't sell him like that now how do they sell batman they sell That's batman dark. as as a troubled youth Oh, they, they emphasize that. Remember, that's always been a part of his storyline. Right. But they only you. emphasize it now because more people can empathize with it in this generation. Well, I mean, there's like, a huge difference between empathy and sympathy, man. Yeah, you better understand. Yeah, that's it, straight up. <laughs> but seriously, so 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 like you know, some people may be hardcore Batman fans or hardcore Superman yeah. fans, but then but then Marvel, their their claim to fame is like, hey, you know, what if what if Instead of just saying like, okay, he's an alien, or you know, he's you know, he's he's just a, a human who's really fucking strong. How about if we just said they 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 they're humans that are mutants now that they've been mutated somehow, you know? Right. And that's I mean that's one of the first concepts well, he Marvel had. Did, Marvel's Batman is Tony Stark. Yeah, right. absolutely. That right. that that Marvel's that is Batman is Tony Stark. It's a rich billionaire suit. Yep. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's and definitely created an armored mm -hmm. suit. Yep. Where you have Batman. Exactly. Sits in the and Iron Man, let's right. face it. And I, fights criminals. So, so, yeah, exactly. He's a normal, but he's, he's not a, a detective he's a, anymore. He's a rich because, because Marvel loved to pick characters' problems out there. Marvel, so they love to put, they love to put their personalities out there. Through, so, through the Marvel successes, they made the characters more relatable, more yes. human. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Exactly. But we're getting back, but as far as like getting back to the, to the core question of like, you know, why ch check out the New DCU 52. To be honest, like there really is no reason besides beyond the fact that DC is trying to like, give like a lot of their characters, mm -hmm. say for Green Lantern and Batman, mm -hmm. like a, a um a new start. Yes, a basically reboot, just like right? showing you like like trying to like do away with the years of continuity and um and questions that like, have dogged some of these characters. Mm -hmm. It's like and just to give you like a nice fresh starting point. Mm -hmm. Basically, like trying like give you like say like, okay, you can pick this this new issue up and have no questions about what's what's going on now this hasn't this hasn't worked with every with, with everything certainly but um there have been a lot of but based on what i've read there's been a lot of stuff that has been that has that has worked like enough for me for at least for this need to be invested to be invested in i mean like I'm, i mean i'm conflicted about do i want to pick up stormwatch based on the fact that you know like oh 
like these characters, like they're being written by someone else afterwards. But um, but also DC is also made also making an effort to make sure that everything gets shipped on fucking time now. Mm-hmm. So where right. we've got like everything's like coming out like week week on week and basically like on a specific day. Yeah. But even with you know the non-success of the first Green Lantern film, my argument is, is that the only yes. reason why is because he's not offset by anything. Green Lantern, and okay, yes, he makes some ridiculous toys. Okay, I get that part, <laughs> and and I thought it was ridiculous based on mm-hmm. that. But there was no conflict for him to really, you know, you didn't really get that sense of tension, you know. But I, I my my argument to you is is that counterpoint him. Give him a good Sinestro film where he has a, a good antagonist. You know, there's okay. an antagonist. Here, okay, let me, get, let, me get that, let me address that specifically because the thing is, um, that Jeff Johns went um, like years before the Green Lantern films came out. He went and did a Green Lantern um, Secret Origin um, series in like, in the Green Lantern pages of the Green Lantern itself, mm-hmm. basically to just so uh, okay, here is here's Green Lantern's origin. Here is how you do it for the fucking film. Right now, it's not perfect, but the thing is. Um, he set he set up the, the whole how like how Jordan um, Sinestro um, dynamic, and um, it's like even though he also had to throw in some stuff for like how is this going to lead into the whole Blackest Night crossover at the time, it's like it's still it still seemed came off as a better origin than the movie it did itself. Because the thing is the problem the biggest problem with the movie like and is that it um, made like and this is like the worst thing that just I think it's just about any superhero film can leave you with is in the sense that you know. I thought I could I could come up with something better, because the thing is, um, like the movie, the the the, the, seri- the Secret Origin um, series basically had um, Atrocitus, who would be a person who was uh, who had an alien who had his um, homeworld mostly massacred by the uh, by the Manhunters, the Guardians' first effort at galactic control, um, trying to um, basically um, ench- um, enslaved by Avin- captured by Avin Sur, um, Green Lantern, who would crash land on Earth to give his ring to Hal Jordan, and um, and then basically uh, unleashed on Earth itself. Now, in order now, in order to make this work, you bring in um, um, Atrocitus, other other conspirators. The uh, it's like the five uh, like five atrocities, like those those guys. It's like and um, they it's like and they and they they try and like um, try and blow up Earth. This this place that was set up that was set up as being important to uh, Abensur. It's like, but uh, for relatively minor consequence to the uh, war, to the universe itself. Then you bring in Sinestro. It's like who was, um, it's like who was also a friend of Abensur, and like now has to deal with this um, upstart, this punk, Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. So basically, you've got so you got the young guy, the young brash um, upstart dealing with the experienced, um, um, like veteran. And, so and don't forget, he's human. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's human. The alien. And basically, you've got these these two guys don't want to work together, but have to in order to stop this galactic terrorist plot right, blowing right, up Earth. Right, right. You have got lethal weapon meets Star Wars. That is a license to print money, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Tell me that not would have been yeah. brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. But again, you do have you know there is a tension there. Yes. And that's and that's and, that's, and that is perfect. You know, um, I didn't really get that sense of tension from the first villain there. Oh, um, no. I mean, it was just like it was kind of like a limp. No, no offense, but kind of uh, weak sauce limp dick shit dude it's just it's yeah it's just like you, oh what oh you're kind of in they, they oh, could, you're they could have done some you know. decent stuff with Hector Hammond in, yeah. the, in the movie but but mm-hmm. it ultimately it's like you know the only thing it's going to be memorable for is like yes. is Peter Sarsgaard and yes, his, yes. His my, the only value for that film 
is to lead is to show his origin and to lead off into the to second show you film. show you how this should be done and and I and I am certainly gonna you know and I've certainly said that I said that even after I left that movie the first time is like the follow up to this with Sinestro would be awesome I or at least it could be if you fuck that up. I'm sorry. You might as well go back to the drawing board and just reboot it again. Because the, the end of the movie basically sets up um, Sinestro forming the Sinestro Corps. Right. And if they fucked that up, then there's really no hope for any kind of Green Lantern exactly. film franchise. Ever. But but um, I think that it's that uh, these franchises are worth revisiting again. Just like, you know, hey, crazy Hollywood studios want to make, you know, movies out of based off a of fucking, um, you know, battleship and other, like, board <laughs> games and shit. Yeah. You know? But, but, people, but people aren't generally resistive to it, you know? Um, now there, I, I think that you know when there were the major labels were DC and Marvel, and they still are in a sense. But I mean, like, there's so many independent works that you can kind of dovetail mm -hmm. into it um, that it's worth going back. We, we this is not the same generation that thought of you know uh, that thought that 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 laid down these origins, but that, but it's the next generations, you know. And I think that um, that looking at these characters again and re and you know how they're rewritten. Can actually, it might actually be really good, you know. Yeah, so, actually, I, I think I think it's worth I think it's worth looking into some of these just for that reason alone. <laughs> yeah, I also think it's you've also stumbled on something interesting in the sense that um, DC is also like the major the, like like while the mo the money in these in these series isn't in publishing anymore, mm -hmm. it's more just with, like you know readying them for for film exploitation. Mm -hmm. And like to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if like. If, these, if um, there was some sort of kind of like mandate like from on high, just saying, you know, okay, think about the movie for this. Think about the TV series for this. Exactly. Right, right, right. And to be honest, like, I actually can't, can I see some of this stuff like um, pull off as a TV series? Sure. So, like, you know, the Wonder Woman uh, television show was actually fairly successful. <laughs> People really like that stuff. And uh, Adam West freaking wished that man yes. forever. Well, you know what? And as much as I despise that series, there's a lot of people who love it. So I mean, I, 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 I'm not gonna, I'm gonna say uh, I don't want to watch that. But you know, I can't discount that. You know, um, <laughs> it's pretty funny actually. It, it is hugely influ influential, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't reflect like you know this, like the, the appeal of Batman. Even, yeah. even, even Grant Morrison has um, taken has also um, gone on to work in some of the bits, some of those bits with. Um, in, in the Batman TV series and Batman movie with with Adam West like, into into his run, yeah. So there's no denying like you know, like like how influential it has been. So like is is the new New Fifty Two just like one big multimedia stunt that is trying like you know reposition all this all the series on characters as like fodder for TV movies? Uh, yo, sure, why not? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, it's like it's yeah. gonna happen. That is right. that they're is the environment that, with their competitors. Absolutely, which is that horrible. that is yeah. the environment today. We have a Spider-Man movie or a Spider-Man comic book, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Fantastic Spider-Man. What else was there? Ultimate Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man. That that's a completely different universe. Well, but it's all they're just trying to compete by coming out with this again, rehashing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're always going to rehash and just create something. Absolutely, they're their franchises. They belong to those uh, those companies, you know. Um, they're uh, and they're some of the biggest names, um, but they they do have to be competitive and they have to they have to kind of up the bar and they'll try it any way they mm -hmm. want. After all, kind of the Batman movie, and I know this is kind of like really sliding off of the entire uh, theme of the podcast, but 
Um, you know, the Batman. This is the last Batman film done by Christopher Nolan yes. and um, and uh, you know and uh, what's his name? Um, Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Bale. <laughs> and uh, you know, and and that's gonna that's gonna leave a pretty big gap in like Warner well, Brothers like catalog. Well, here's the thing: so basically, you realize that any bat that they're going to continue to do Batman movies, but yes. anything they do after this, after Christopher Nolan's work, is going to be geared towards Batman being in the Justice League. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because like exactly. with the with the Avengers, I mean, like, like this is basically set the stage for like you know, with all with the success of the Avengers. DC has to do the Justice League. Absolutely. Right. Yes, that is it's a given. Mm -hmm. Yep. So and, and as much as, you know, I mean, has anybody ever watched that cheesy 70s cartoon, you know, about the Justice League? I mean, friends. yeah, the super friends. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. So, 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 so I've seen that, and I used to watch that when I was a kid, and I can't believe how unbelievably cheesy stuff was back then, but mm. I'm not going to judge an entire franchise now just based on that cartoon. You know what I mean? Well, it uh, it's 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 like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. If there was less material out there, I go, yeah, you know what, just fuck it. But you know what? Now there's there's a there's a wide variety of artists and writers who are creating and who are reinventing these these characters, and I think it's worth looking into mm -hmm. them, you know, mm -hmm. um, because they don't have the same perspectives that their their spiritual grandfathers did. You know, they have they they live in the world that we live in. You know. And you know what that com that question and comment I made, Jason, like, why mm -hmm. would a Marvel fan want to get into it? I mean, and you know, I've always been like a pro Marvel fan, but like it wasn't until recently I started getting more into the DC universe because I mean I, I love you know I always loved Batman growing up and bought you know Batman comic books and shit but other than that I never read anything else until mm -hmm. you know kind of like re recently like mid 2000s but what's making me more of a DC fan now mm -hmm. is I love what they're doing with um, their uh, not only what they're doing with the comic books but with their uh, home home release movies like Batman the Superman movie, like movies, and see, like and all of those are new collaborations, right, you know. Exactly. And and here's the thing: before the '80s, Batman was probably just as deplorable as Superman, right? Because before before Frank Miller came along <laughs> or any of these other guys, Batman was pretty much Adam West. Mm -hmm. I mean, and if that was all you had to base all you had to base the Batman character on, you'd go, really. I don't know if I'd watch this, you know, okay. because there really wasn't any good material until that stuff started being published, and then the Tim Burton film came out, which is like a very anti-Batman film if you think about it, and it's in some ways. You but know, Batman it's, keeps killing people. It, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just 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 to throw it out there, yeah. Um, but you know that that kind of um, you know, but that really the success of that film. I mean, that was one of, that was about as, uh, I mean, what? I mean, as, as popular as the Superman films were. Right. I mean, this, and, and, and what did Marvel have in the 80s that were movies that were that successful? Nothing. There you go. Not Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> Not Captain America. So, so, so it depends on the decade you're talking about. Marvel in the 80s and, and, and DC in the 80s are almost, you know, different and than also they it's were now. It's worth trying to work through that. Yeah, they left it, the 90s, don't they? Yeah, and and well, you saw except, more independent except for Blade. But, yeah, you saw okay. more independent labels in the nineties yeah. and stuff like that. But, but okay, but here's the, the other thing is you know that um DC, that in this like recent in this recent um, Marvel's recent success, you know, starting with Iron Man, that Marvel has had a lot more say in you know how their films are made mm -hmm. than um than DC has, because like they've been able to like, 
because like you know, before they were absorbed by Disney, they were they were able to dictate terms mm -hmm. to uh, to Paramount and other companies who release companies who release their movies. Mm -hmm. With DC, it's like I mean, like with they, DC, like it's clear that they really just got lucky by getting um, Christopher Nolan to direct on um, Batman. Yeah. Because I mean, like Brian Singer's um, like Superman Returns, mm -hmm. you know, mm. not necessarily a bad movie, but certainly not as influential as they wanted. Right, um, and it's certainly Green Lantern. Yeah, it, it should have been their Iron Man, but it wasn't. Yep. So, so I mean, it's like it's, it's like basically so like a lot of it's like a lot I of. I blame Ryan Reynolds for that. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't blame. I don't blame Ryan Ryan Reynolds. I blame like the people who wrote who wrote the who wrote, who wrote the damn film. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds is good as comedy actor, you know? Yeah. Those funny movies like Waiting and movies that made me laugh back in the day. Van not Wilder. As, yeah, Van Wilder, you know, write that down. But he's not, <laughs> not as a... Uh, he's not believable as an action star, do you? Yeah, he's not believable as an action star. So who would, you, who would you have picked for Green Lantern? Or oh, it's very difficult. Because I know the Big Bang Theory guys um, picked on... Uh, oh, God. Um, Serenity. Um, uh, no um, one... No, 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 no. Um, Nathan Fillion? Nathan Fillion, yes. Yeah. He would have been a good choice. Well, Just because. He's well, a little bit older, though. Come on. Yeah. Ah, uh, they can fix that. Yeah. Just like, um, just like when they were talking about like converting, making them Superman with um, Nicolas Cage. They could have fixed his, super, his hairline with CG. Yeah. So. They <laughs> but no, Nathan Fillion, um, his great. I mean, he's a good actor. So I mean, you know, I mean, I think that his that he can mold to a role like that. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So um, I don't know anything about the actor that played the Green Lantern in this film or Hal Jordan, if you will. <laughs> so, um, but before uh, you know, we should probably wrap up the podcast and then. So um, with that, we should pro uh, we should probably wrap up the podcast. I, I guess. With that. <laughs> We should so it's like so so I guess I to, to bring some closure to this. Yes, sir. It's like I it's like I so far I think what I've been, what I've read of the DC New Fifty Two, even if it's just like the stuff based on like stuff what I would what I would want to buy based on what I've heard, mm -hmm. I've enjoyed it. So even I can say that it's been a successful experiment so far. I'm looking forward to reading even more stuff stuff in this stuff in this line. Like even stuff that was canceled, like say Dan DiDio's um, OMAC, the One Man Army. Or not, or an army corps, but you know, it's like so. Even if, like, even if the um, relaunch hasn't brought DC some sales levels back to the level they wanted, wanted to. Um, they at least, like, it's still certainly like um, they, they deserve at least commended for even trying, at least uh, trying to trying to bring like do something different. It's like in this, it's like it's like in the sales environment. Mm -hmm. So, so look, I'm looking forward to reading more. That's all I have to say. All right, and we'll see you next week on Comic Picks by the Glitch. Two weeks, bye. Oh, two weeks, yeah, that's right. Later. <laughs>